Hey, what's up, Gospel Fellowship? My name is Casey, and uh, you know, let's just start off with what's most important right now behind the fact that I'm a son of God through Jesus Christ is that I'm a friend of Rodney. And uh, it is an honor uh, to be here, and I'm a friend of Gospel Fellowship. Uh, we have had the opportunity to be a part of your story, and you've had the opportunity to be a part of our story. Uh, back in the day, we're coming up on 10 years, and I know you guys just celebrated a, a big milestone not too long ago. And uh, man, it's just a great honor uh, to not only call you brothers and sisters in Christ, um, but, but to call you friends and, and to get to choose uh, to, to walk alongside you guys. And so, um, man, it's, it's just a, it's a great honor uh, for me to be here and to be able to share uh, this week uh, with you guys. And um, so I'm going to be hopping right into our passage. There is a lot uh, that we want to cover here uh, today as we, as we uh, link arms together. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to just get, get after it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ uh, you, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And what's like um, captivating about this passage uh, is, uh, to me at least, this idea that... Um, by the way, the church in Philippi lives, by the way, um, they, they live together, by the way, they um, are not frightened as they walk uh, together in gospel ministry, um, that they're going to show uh, all of their oppressors, both seen and unseen, um, that, uh, that Jesus wins. And then secondly, that, um, that they get to suffer. That it's, it's actually granted to them as, as like part of their inheritance as a church that they would get to suffer uh, for Jesus. And, um, you know, I'm using that as a, as a launching point to uh, look at one particular narrative in the Old Testament of someone who suffered well and uh, showed really um, his opponent being Pharaoh, and, and then, like, the whole world at this point, uh, what it is uh, to, to follow a God who keeps us in the midst of suffering. And I'm talking about Joseph. Joseph uh, from the Old Testament. And, you know, th this, uh, this message is uh, it's a part of a series um, that we happen to be in at the AC, just a little south of y'all in, in Delray Beach, called Why? Experiencing God in the Dark. Um, and, and that's really what we want to do here with our time together, is um, not necessarily look at the heroic nature of how Joseph suffered, although we're going we're gonna to make some application there, 
But, but I want to enter into, like, why did Joseph suffer? What was the cause behind his suffering? And then I'm trusting that God's Spirit is going to meet us as we historically look at the why of Joseph's suffering and then ask God's Spirit to shed light on our suffering. And so, Father, we pray that you give us your Holy Spirit and you would do just that, that you would come and you would fill us and you would teach us, you would shape us and you would change us as we look to your scriptures and we look to your hand in the midst of our dark suffering. Help us now in Christ's name. Amen. I think it's a really fair question. Why? Uh, I don't know if you're like a why asker or not. Some of us are a bit more geared toward that. Um, you know, I have, I have some kids, one in particular, who's really good at, at whys. At least he's kind of grown out of it, but, but it was like one after the, the next. And, and sometimes we have kids or ourselves who are just like, I, I accept it. Yeah, like I, I get it. I get it. But I think there's, um, I think there's real value in stopping to ask why. When we look at our own suffering, when we look at the suffering in the world, um, when we look at historical suffering, I feel like the question why brings us to a place where God can meet us in some really special ways. And that's, that's what we want to do right now. Is we we want to ask the question why as it pertains to Joseph's suffering and then see you know, what God potentially has to say to us in our current suffering. And so uh, let, let's, let's go ahead and, and hop into that. Uh, a few invitations, uh, if, if you will. Let me invite you to a few things. Uh, the first one is start where you are. If you are a question asker, if you're why, if you're bitter, if you have resentment, if you're angry at how a good God could allow fill in the blank, and you don't know why, then just start there. That's totally cool. If you have a, a, a place where you're like, man, I'd, I'd like to explore that why, I'm curious about it, like, man, I'm ready to go, I'm, I'm hungry uh, for, for where, where this might go, then, then start there. If you're apathetic and suffering really hasn't been that much a part of your uh, existence, well, then start there. Just start where you are. But then secondly, uh, would you just commit over the next few moments to come with us? Just, just come with us. Whether you're new to Gospel Fellowship and you just kind of linked on out of kind of seemingly nowhere, you're part of the Gospel uh, Fellowship family, would you just commit over the next few moments to come with us wherever this journey uh, might lead? Would you commit to uh, being a learner? and being open to discovering things that you might not have discovered before? Would you just commit to being open to possibly experiencing God and the things of faith in a new way like you never have before? I'm not saying it's going to happen. Just would you, would you receive the invitation to be open to it? And, and I'd like to invite you to embrace the tension. Um, we're going to walk through some things that, that I think are, are um, 
are tense and, and they don't always resolve themselves. There's sometimes a gap between two things that can be true simultaneously, but it's, it's hard to complete the line and, and it doesn't all make sense at times. And so I'm going to invite you to embrace the tension that we might find ourselves in as we talk about suffering and we look at why and we wonder where God is in that uh, dark space. And then finally, uh, just readjust your expectations. Uh, I am not coming here to um, authoritatively tell you this is why you individually are suffering. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the guy for that. I'm not in the place of God. I'm a co-learner with you. Um, so what I would invite you to do is just, just come along as we talked about, but allow for me to be a co-learner with you and, and give you some things to consider uh, along the way as we both learn about where God is and how he can be experienced uh, in, our, in our darkness. And so um, just kind of the question we want to hop into is why did Joseph suffer so much personal injustice? Like why was that his lot in life? Um, I feel like in, in our world, this is a really relevant question. Whether you um, are somebody who has suffered the personal injustice of sexual abuse, of abandonment, whether um, you are uh, touched and affected in a very deep and profound way, by what is uh, happening to Ahmad Arbery's family right now and what has happened to him. No matter, no matter where you are or, or where you come from, we live in a world that has been affected by personal injustice and should be affected by personal injustice, whether we've experienced that or not. And so I, I want to just begin with this question of, like, why did Joseph suffer so much personal injustice and then come out of that a little bit and make some application beyond? So who is, who is this Joseph? Um, just to give you some context, he's, he's a member of a family that was pretty uh, uh, unique. It was a family of promise. It was a family of pain. Uh, and it was, it was a family of provision. It's interesting how all those things can happen in one particular uh, family, but, but that's what was happening uh, to Joseph. He had a family that had just great, amazing promise to it, but also severe pain. And out of that, God brought um, some pretty tremendous uh, provision. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis, and we're going to be uh, just kind of moving through the narrative. And um, it starts in chapter 37, and it goes all the way through 50. So you may need to mark some spaces because we can only camp out in like one or two spots. Um, but we're, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and hop in. And, and before um, we hop into really the narrative, uh, we, should, we should get some handles on Joseph's theology of suffering. And, and what I mean by a theology of suffering is that um, th th this is the framework 
by which Joseph viewed suffering. Now, you might be saying, how do I know that? There's some assumption that I'm making right now. But I'm going out on, on uh, a verse in the midst of this narrative that talks about how God was with Joseph and favored Joseph. And um, it, it, it implies that not only was that true, but when you look at the behaviors of Joseph, Joseph knew that. And so I want to tell you some of the theology that would go into understanding suffering uh, where you could link on to God in the midst of that. And very briefly, a theology of suffering, it it begins, uh, the understanding of it begins with God and his creation and all good things. Not that God is the author of evil, but God created things and they were perfect and harmonious amongst people and between God and people. Sin entered that environment through Adam and Eve. Sin is rebellion against God. And where there is sin, there is also death. And there's a breaking of shalom, which is that harmony that I just spoke about. And so God created all things good and right. Adam, Eve chose to live outside of God. They did not trust God's goodness or plan for them. And where there is sin, shalom gets broken. And so suffering Uh, entered our existence and entered our world in connection with sin. And so no longer would we live in a world or a place that was perfectly harmonious between our relationships with one another inside of ourselves or with God. We now have inherited a world where suffering is very much a natural consequence to the sin of humanity. Well, the final theology of suffering is that God is on a mission to restore shalom, to renew all things. And that is exactly what he has done and is doing through the work of Jesus Christ, who came with no sin of his own to take upon himself our sin, be crushed in our place on the cross, overcome our sin and our death, and then give us the opportunity to be first restored to God and then restored to one another, leading to one day when Jesus comes back and restores all things to that perfect shalom. That's a theology of suffering that gives us some handles um, on the question of like, well, why is suffering even a part of our existence right now? It was because sin is in the world and it has broken the design that God had originally intended uh, or had created us uh, to experience. Now, there's, there's more to the why. But if we don't start with that theology that Joseph at least had some idea with it, well, then um, we end up beginning to, to create some of our own answers, which is never healthy. Genesis um, 37 begins to tell us the story of Joseph. And uh, it, it starts by very simply saying, Joseph lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. Um, and uh, it references his father, Jacob, in verse 1. And so what we see here is that um, this is a reference to the family of promise. God promised to rescue us those of us who would receive his grace in Christ, he actually promised to rescue us through a family. And it was a family of promise. It was the family of Abraham, the family of Isaac, the family of Jacob. And now here comes Joseph, and he is born into this family where God has promised it's through these guys, through these girls, that I am going to bring the rescuer. That's a great family 
of promise. That may be your experience with your family. Maybe you grew up in a family of promise and it's like, man, everything was good and awesome and you had awesome mom and dad and like, like there was a lot of promise to your upbringing and you're, you're actually maybe enjoying some of that um, right now. But probably, like Joseph, even if there was promise in your family, there was also pain. Secondly, Joseph comes from a family of pain. Um, take some notes here, uh, if, if you would, please. But in, in Genesis, beginning in, in Genesis 37, um, verses 3 through 36, and then into 39, verses 19 and 20, and then into uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 23, even into 41, verse 1. This is the story of Joseph's um, pain. But when his brothers, verse 4, chapter 37, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Uh, This really sets up the the dynamic of pain in Joseph's existence. Um, It began with his brothers. We see that in verses 23 through 24, um, they strip him of his robe. Uh, they, they throw him into a pit. Verse 28, they sell him to the Ishmaelites who then take him to Egypt. Joseph, at a young age, 17, enters human trafficking, sold into Egypt. In Egypt, in chapter 39, we meet Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, where, where Joseph is, because God is, his favor is upon him and God's, God's with him, he like rises to this uh, place of prominence in Potiphar's house. But we see here in this chapter that Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph was a man of integrity. And because of who Potiphar was and the kindness of Potiphar, but even more than that, because of who God was in Joseph's life, he said no, which created more suffering for Joseph, because Potiphar's wife would then, um, she would, she would uh, have false claims against him that he tried to get with her, showing a piece of his clothing. Potiphar would then throw Joseph into jail, which is even more injustice because um, if Potiphar actually believed his wife, he would have had Joseph killed. But he knew his wife was lying, and yet he still threw Joseph uh, in jail. Interesting perspective I had learned from the commentary on that. And then in verse 40, uh, chapter 40, Joseph's doing great in jail. He's interpreting dreams. Man, he's, he's, like, he, he's, not, he's not living out of his pain, but he's, he's living through his pain. And the cupbearer uh, gets out and is supposed to kind of like help Joseph to get out as well because he has this amazing gifting. But it says for two years, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. So if you come from a kind of family that's got some ups and some serious downs, if you feel forgotten and as though um, everyone, maybe potentially even including God, has forgotten you, uh, you know, this, this narrative, I think, has, has encouragement um, for you today. And so it comes from a family of pain. Um, but it turned out to also be the family of provision. Because in Genesis uh, 41, verses 56 through 57, um, Joseph 
earlier in the chapter, he's brought out, he's brought before Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh's like, hey, you know, interpret my dreams. And uh, Joseph's like, I can't do it, but God can. And, uh, and then Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. There was going to be seven years of a ton of food coming in, and then seven years of famine. And uh, Joseph makes a recommendation that... Uh, Pharaoh should put somebody in charge that will help to store up and organize the food, uh, which will then provide for people in uh, the, the times of, of lack. I love what Pharaoh says here um, about Joseph. He makes this comment uh, in this, in this uh, uh, back and forth here, uh, or in this, in this moment of history. He's like, where else can we find the Spirit of God like it's on this guy? Interesting, as we started by saying, depending on how we live and how we respond to the adversity of our opponents, they will know. They will know. Now, Pharaoh wasn't an immediate opponent of Joseph, but the Pharaoh would be a huge opponent of Israel. And Joseph is helping them to know the salvation of his God even now. Verses 56 through 57. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Later in chapter 45, verse 7. Joseph, Joseph writes about um, how he had been sent there to preserve a remnant. So not only was Joseph preserving the whole world because of the food that he had uh, stored up, but he was also preserving a remnant for this family of promise so that God could continue to fulfill his rescue mission to renew even all of our suffering in Christ. And so Joseph was really kept by the person of God in this narrative. He was kept by the promises of God, and, and he was kept by the power of God. And there's a saying, man, I, I just, I love this saying. I feel like it's so true um, in this particular narrative, and I think it's true in the gospel. And it's really simple. Um, keep going, he's winning. Keep going, he's winning. Um, if you are in the midst of, of suffering, whether your suffering is a part of this particular COVID-19 season or um, wounds have been reopened because of uh, the recent injustice that we've seen um, through the Ahmad Arbery situation, or maybe, maybe you've, got some, you've got some suffering that's just happening internally. And, and it's, a, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's a marriage that is, is just not um, getting any better. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can keep going because he's winning. Right now, he's winning. And he's not wasting a moment of your heartbreak. Why so much personal injustice for Joseph? I cannot answer that for you. I cannot always answer that for me. 
But let's look at the answer to Joseph and see if God wants to meet us in some of our own suffering. Joseph really answers that question for us in this story. Turn to chapter 45, verses 4 through 9. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Hey, verse 8, just in case we're not getting what Joseph's saying, and remember, Joseph's speaking to his brothers, which actually did the selling. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father. So what we have here as we try to answer the why of Joseph's personal injustice is dual realities. Dual realities. Two things that are true at the same time. I have this in my home right now. I'm really tired and exhausted and at some points would be quite all right if my kids somehow went to bed at like 6 p.m. this evening. While at the same time, I love them like crazy. Two truths can exist at the same time. In Joseph's case, there is a dual reality that's happening. The evil of others and the heart of God. The evil of others. The evil of the brothers, the evil of Potiphar's wife, even the evil of the cupbearer are very real things. And Joseph does not deny that. He does not pretend like it didn't happen. He doesn't say, you didn't sell me here. Well, I know you didn't really mean to hurt me. No, he's like, you, you did this. You sold me. You're the ones who took me and put me into this place, into those hands of the Ishmaelites who would take me here. You sold, you sold me. Well, at the very same time, he says, but it was God who sent me here. Something that you need to understand about the heart of God it's multifaceted. But one of the things that I've come to understand, and the scripture is clear, is that the heart, at the heart of God, is, is he, he is a savior. He is a rescuer. He loves to save and protect and preserve 
people. And that heart was at play even in the midst of the evil that Joseph was experiencing. Dual realities. Both the evil of men and the heart of God. That's why in chapter 50, Joseph is able to say, as for you, verse 20, you meant evil against me. I'm not trying to gloss over that. I'm not trying to pretend like this wound didn't bleed and still has the potential to bleed. It's a wound that I have that will probably never go away until... What we know now is Jesus comes back. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so uh, here's, ready? Here's, the, uh, here's the tension that Joseph has to live in. He has to live in the tension between being a victim and being a victor. The evil of mankind made him a victim. But the heart of God is making him a victor, one who preserves life for others. And the question for Joseph is the same question for us. Which one will we live out of? Which one will get to have the defining word about who we are? And very simply put, the one that we feed. It's the one that we look to for identity. It's the one where we find ourselves camping out the most. Never in all of the scriptures and in this moment is there ever a suggestion to leave what happened in the past, the wounds of the past, to pretend like Joseph or you haven't been a very real victim. The encouragement of the gospel is that out of that victimness, life can arise for both you and those around you. God sent me to preserve life. Commentator David Guzik writes, it, it's fair to ask, why was Joseph in Egypt? Was it because of the sin of his brothers or because of the good plan of God? The answer is that both aspects were true. None of it was for loss. Check this out. I love this. If this family did not go into Egypt, they would assimilate among the pagan tribes of Canaan and cease to become a distinctive people. God had to put them in a place where they could grow, yet remain a distinctive nation. Charles Spurgeon writes, How wonderfully those two things meet in practical harmony, the free will of man and the predestination of God. Man acts just as freely and just as guiltily as if there were no predestination whatsoever. And God ordains, arranges, supervises, and overrules just as accurately as if there were no free will in the universe. I gotta let that sit for a second. Like, wow. God is in our darkness. 
And so again, Joseph is asked to live in the tension which many of us may be asked as well. And so we, we bring it to today. Why today? Why the current suffering today? Why my personal suffering today? Why your personal injustice today? And remember, I'm, I'm not authoritatively saying I have the answer to the why. But what we're doing is we're asking God to meet us in the process of looking at it for Joseph and what he might have to say to us today. And I'd like to, I'd like to ask you to consider Jesus in this. I'd like to ask you to consider a few things in this. Like, come with me, and let's, um, let's, let's consider a few possibilities that God might be doing in our midst. Would you consider that God, in this season of your particular suffering, or, or this suffering in general, um, might be allowing this to take place in order to bring life where there could be death? Because this was true of Joseph. You know, personal suffering can oftentimes be both, um, it can be preventative and provisional. It can prevent things from happening to other people, and it can be provisional. It can, it can provide things that were not there before. It's actually the gospel way. Suffering, then life. This is true in your marriage. This is true in your parenting. This is true all over the place. That life comes after death. And so I would ask you the question, is, is this season of suffering perhaps bringing life where there could be death? And I know we just had Mother's Day, so moms, I just want to speak to you for a minute, um, especially as it, as it relates to the COVID-19 situation and, and just make some kind of application as to where you might be right now. And dads, it affects us, it affects everyone. But I just want to lean in just a minute here uh, with the moms. And because I, I'm watching a mom that I live with named Catherine, my beautiful wife of 23 years, and I'm watching her die daily deaths. Moment by moment, she's experiencing daily deaths. As a matter of fact, she told me uh, it was a week and a half ago that um, she said this. It was, it was at night. Uh, the kids were in bed-ish. And uh, she looked at me and she said, I'm going upstairs to die. Translation, she's going to bed. But, like, that's all she had left. Man, she was just spent. And, and I wonder, and I, and, I, and I just want you to consider, especially you moms who are out there dying daily, is what you're doing right now preventing further death and actually sustaining life much like we saw God do through Joseph in his narrative, because you're willing to stand in the gap and sacrifice personal freedoms in order to maintain the safety of your family. I just want to tell you, keep going, because he's winning through you, just like he did through Joseph. The first mention in the Bible of the Holy Spirit, Guzik writes, is here with Joseph. Now we know that the Spirit's mentioned in creation, but, but the idea of like the Spirit of, the God, of God coming upon um, someone, um, it, it's, it's in connection here for the first time with Joseph, and even more so, it's in connection with practical things. 
And so Guzik writes, Joseph didn't have to preach a sermon or lead a prayer for Pharaoh to see the Spirit of God upon him. And I would submit to you, moms, that in the very practical, real, day-to-day life stuff that you are walking through, the Spirit of God is upon you and your children, although they may not be able to verbalize it, are quite possibly in their souls saying, where else can we see the Spirit of God like it's upon this person right now in the very practical, loving, sacrificial things that you're providing for them? It's a wonderful season for practical evangelism as you die to self so that others might live. My wife asked for the Mother's Day message I said, well, what do you want in a Mother's Day message? She said, man, I just want to know that it's valued. Like, like that it all matters. And I want to say that it all matters. Keep going. He's winning through you. Would you consider in this season that God might be allowing your suffering in order to do good where others have meant harm? I mean, that's what Joseph uh, was experiencing. Um, Would you consider that God's like sending you ahead so that others can thrive. Author and advocate Christine Kane is the founder, co-founder of A21, which is um, an organization that is set on abolishing uh, slavery, human slavery, human trafficking. And from ages 3 to 15, she was sexually abused and was indeed and is indeed a victim of that. She describes herself as a, what she felt was a shame leper. And then she goes on to say, so I grew up feeling a lot of rejection, shame, insecurity, fear, and anger. Over the years, I've had to fight to renew my mind to a place where I understand at the core of my being is that Jesus is trustworthy. She's had to fight to get there. And because of that fight and because of that journey and because God has used her personal injustice to send her ahead, literally thousands of human beings have been plucked from slavery and are now experiencing something radically different through the A21 movement. A very real victim and a very real victor. I wonder in your situation, um, has God potentially um, allowed suffering in order to send you ahead so that you might be a part of breaking some generational sinfulness that you inherited from your family? with as much sensitivity as I can and tenderness, I'd just have you consider that. Sam Storms writes, the sinful behavior of one generation can have lingering and disastrous consequences on subsequent members of that family line. 
You cannot be held morally accountable before God for the sins of your father or mother, but you can be made involuntarily to suffer from the social, economic, and spiritual consequences of their sin. We see this in addiction. We see this in abuse. We see this in abandonment. And would you consider that because of the goodness and rescue of Jesus in your life, that he has sent you ahead to now be who you are in your family so that you can say this stops now and there is a new chapter of generational blessing that God is writing through you because of what you have had to endure and now God is using it to preserve life. Would you consider that? Your story might be close to Joseph's. Would you consider to keep going because he's winning through you? Would you maybe consider in this season that um, God is doing something amazingly beautiful through your current suffering, but you're not going to see it until later? I did the math, and it seems like there was 27 years before Joseph could could say what he said in chapter 50 of Genesis. From age 17 to where he is in in chapter 50, um, that's a long time. 27 years before Joseph could utter the words, man, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. You know, training up a uh, a child in the way he should go, rejoicing in sufferings because they eventually produce hope, those things take time. And if you have a desire to give hope to your children, the hope of Christ specifically, you cannot give away what you don't have. So quite possibly there is a suffering that you are enduring that is leading to a hope that you don't yet have that one day you will be able to give to your children. Would you consider that God is calling you to keep going because he's winning even now? The hope of Jesus, it takes time. As we close, um, this is not a message, and we don't serve a God that is just supposed to be considered, but rather experienced. And I don't know how it worked for Joseph. But there was something about Joseph where he like, um, the scripture says that God kept Joseph. But as I just read the story, it was like Joseph kept God as well. Because of God's grace, Joseph was able somehow to hang on to the promises of God, even though he was in a foreign land, there was no, you know, like regular worship services that we know he was attending. He didn't have like three versions, you know, of of people coming to him and encouraging him in the promises of God. He was alone. He he didn't have the same um, freedoms that he had back in his homeland. And uh, he was he was a foreigner. And he was he was under severe suffering, but somehow it was like Joseph was able to keep the promises of God alive by the grace of God in his heart. 
And I thought, how does that happen for us? Man, I think, I think to close, the best way I can close is, is the image of preparing to get a tattoo. If you know South Florida, you know tattoos are very common. And my church, they like artwork. You know, we don't have stained glass. We don't even have a building. But we've got a ton of tattoos you can look at. And, and here's, I don't have any right now that you can see. So you don't know if I have one or not. I'm just going to leave it at that. But I did Google what you would need to get ready if you were to receive a tattoo. First of all, you pick your design. And second of all, you prepare for pain. You prepare for pain because the machine that's going to give you a tattoo is like a sewing machine that is going to go beneath the surface of your skin over and over and over again and may require touch-up work. But you see, the cool part about once you receive a tattoo is that you can look at it and reference it over and over and over again. Is it possible that the suffering that you are now experiencing is because God is tattooing his promise upon your heart so that it can be referenced both for you and the preservation of those around you. And if that's true, man, ask God for the promise that you need right now and prepare for pain because God is about to write something beautiful on your heart that cannot be removed.